Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I mean, sometimes I just look at a guy and I know this fellow's not going to make it. Our next guest is a combat veteran, a Marine Corps veteran, and a very impressive man overall. And he's someone who's become kind of a face of the military because even if you don't recognize his name, if I name some of the film and TV projects he's been involved in, you will recognize those. And if you think about it, you'll probably know who he was in them. I'm talking about movies like Platoon. Somebody once wrote, hell is the impossibility of reason. That's what this place feels like. Hell. Saving Private Ryan. That's not all. There's a fourth brother, the youngest. He's somewhere in Normandy. We don't know where. That boy's alive. We're going to send somebody to find him. TV shows like Band of Brothers, and that, that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Dale Dye. Captain Dale Dye of the United States Marine Corps, to be precise. Captain, how are you doing this morning? I'm fine, Eric. Thanks very much for uh, giving me the shot. Early Reveille doesn't bother Marines. We're in good shape. There you go. In the Navy and Marine Corps family, you and I both know getting up early, that's not a problem. That's just what you got to do someday. <laughs> so when we talk yeah, about the fact... Trice up and give the ship a clean and sweep down. There you go. Sweep down all decks, ladders, ladder backs, and passageways. Captain Dai, of course, you served, as I mentioned, in the Marine Corps in Vietnam. So tell us just a little bit about your service. Where did you join out of? Where are you originally from? and what did you do in the Corps? Well, um, I'm originally from uh, southeast Missouri. Um, you can probably tell by the way I pronounce the name of that state that I'm, <laughs> I'm a little south of, uh, of the area. But uh, I, um, I enlisted uh, in, uh, in January of 1964 uh, out of St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, went to uh, boot camp, uh, trained as, a, as a, uh, an infantryman originally, and then changed my MOS. Uh, became what the Marine Corps calls a combat correspondent, uh, primarily based on the fact that uh, I had graduated from military schools and edited a high school newspaper and that sort of thing. Um, and and I wanted to be in a position where I could do see more than just the back of the other guy's pack. Um, and and being a combat correspondent allowed me to do that. Um, it allowed me to do anything that I really wanted to in the Marine Corps, as long as I could, could produce uh, a little story and a little picture about it. Um, and uh, in 1967, they sent me to Vietnam, the 1st Marine Division, um, and I found out why the why the Marine Corps calls it combat correspondent with the emphasis on the uh, on the first word. <laughs> uh, we were essentially glorified riflemen who uh, went along with uh, the battalions and ran to the sound of the guns and and observed what went on and and took part uh, whenever we could. So I did that. Um, I survived. Uh, quite a number of uh, major combat operations. I fought in Hue uh, in Tet of uh, 1968. I was wounded a couple of times, um, 
got myself, uh, I survived uh, multiple tours and uh, came home uh, and decided that I would stay with the Marine Corps. Um, I really appreciated what I had seen in combat, um, and I appreciated the the little guy with a rusty rifle in the rear rank who really makes up the heart and soul of our American military. And I came to a great appreciation of that. I decided I wanted to stay around it. So I reenlisted, uh, stayed uh, for about um, 13 years as an enlisted man, rose to be a senior NCO, then was chosen to become an officer, uh, became a warrant officer, converted my commission from warrant directly to first lieutenant, was a captain by the time uh, I got my second shot at getting shot at, and that was in Beirut, Lebanon, 82-83. Then uh, finally retired in uh, 1984, and that's way too much information, Eric, but there you have it. (laughs) Well, a long and, as you said, decorated career. The Bronze Star with V among your awards, multiple Purple Hearts uh, uh, earned over in Vietnam. Now, you leave the military in 1984. It's been a part of your life for 20-plus years. What was that transition period for you like? I mean, a lot of people think of Marines as fearless, but did you have any fear and trepidation as you went to move from being on active duty to being a veteran? I have. I have fear and trepidation with every breath I take, but um, the the truth of the matter is, in those days, uh, Eric, we didn't have a lot of the transition training and and sort of uh, uh, babysitting that, that, and and I don't mean that in a derogatory fashion, but but the concern um, that uh, for transitioning uh, Marines, sailors, airmen, um, soldiers, Coast Guardsmen, that, that there is today. It was kind of, thank you for your service. Uh, there's the door. Don't let it hit you in the butt on the way out. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, good luck. Uh, here's how you apply for the GI bill. There wasn't a lot of that concern. So you kind of stood out there, uh, naked and afraid, um, and wondered, you know, what the hell am I going to do here? Um, and in my case, uh, that was, that was essentially true. I mean, um, I got to thinking, you know, what what can I really bring to the table here? Um, you know, I, I'd been shot too many times to want to be a cop on America's mean streets, and I knew that, you know, if I got into defense contracting or ended up in some corporate cubicle, that you know, I'd I'd be a suicide in about six months. So I, I needed to do something, and I and I got to doing a bunch of introspection, um, and. I said, you know, what, what's the common denominator here? What, what do I have? And, and I found out that um, I was, interestingly, I was, I was always a movie buff all my life, Eric. I mean, I, I guess it's natural, but I had seen every military movie there was, I thought. And uh, the common denominator there was that the majority of them upset me. I mean, they, they just didn't represent who we were, who I knew we were right. from my own personal experience. Um, and every veteran knows that. I mean, you, you go see a military movie and the first thing you see is some stupid error, some stupid activity <laughs> that would never happen. And, and you say, ah, crap. And you, you walk out and, and I'd had that experience so many times and and I got to researching it, and I, I looked around, and I would see a credit at the end of a film, and it would say uh, technical advisor, and it would be 
you know, Major Umpty Frats, uh, United States Army retired. And I said, well, how the hell can they make all these mistakes? Right. I don't get it. Um, so, I, you know, when you're ignorant, you can do a lot of things that people tell you you can't do. Uh, and so uh, with, with that in mind, I came out to L.A. and began to, to research this. And the light began to glow. I, I found out that there was a great deal of hubris. Um, and I use that term advisedly uh, in Hollywood, especially among auteur filmmakers who, who sincerely felt that anybody who spent any time in uniform could not creative could not conceivably have a creative bone in his or her body. Right. Um, because if they did, why the hell would they go and be a soldier, sailor, airman, or marine? Um, and and that attitude really was prevalent. Um, and so they would hire somebody just for the sake of finding out which side the ribbons go on, um, <laughs> and and that would and that would be the extent of it. Um, and and I, I I began to realize, okay, here's what's wrong. These folks have no idea who we really are, how we really talk, how we really walk, how we relate to each other. What's the concept of of relying on the guy to your right and your left to survive in combat is about. And and so it's natural that they miss it uh, when they're when they're doing these films, so that they dream up some fantastic uh, circumstance. Uh, and and put the poor military in it, and that upset me. I said, "Well, it, you know, this is easy to fix. I'm an old marine. I know how to train people. I can do this. Just give me your actors. I'll I'll show them the truth. I'll demonstrate it for them, and make them live in it, and they'll get it. These are actors. I mean, they're they're dry sponges. They de- they they understand about emotions. They understand about." psychology things like that so so that was my that was my premise give me give me your actors and let me unscrew this mess <laughs> and then whatever they do for you on screen is going to be the right stuff look you can you can teach a chimpanzee how to carry a rifle and and wear the right equipment and you can make corrections like you know not carrying M16 rifles in a World War II picture. You can you can do that sort of thing. And frankly, that's what most technical advisors had done before I became on this before I came on the scene, because that's all they were allowed to do. That's as close to the project as they were allowed to get. Um, well, I, that wasn't my way of doing things. It wasn't the military way of doing things, and I I knew better because I'd trained men all of my life, so I knew what could be done. But selling that to Hollywood was a difficult proposition, my friend. I ran up against every brick wall you could find. They they would look at me and they'd say, look, we've made military movies um, for decades, and we've made zillions of dollars. Why do we need you and your stupid, you know, Stanislavski full immersion methods? <laughs> why do we need that? Right. You know, why why should we spend money on that? So uh, here's the door, and don't it, you know, don't let it uh, pinch you on the way out. So um, it was really very difficult. I kept at it, but I was about to give up because Hollywood is such a closed shop, uh, so hard a nut to crack, and then. 
I had learned to read the trade papers, um, Daily Variety and Hollywood Reporter and and uh, papers like that that cover uh, showbiz. And uh, I, I saw this whole announcement um, in one of those papers that said a heretofore relatively unknown writer-director by the name of Oliver Stone was going to do a movie based on his own experience as a combat infantryman in Vietnam. And I knew at that moment that this guy, whoever the hell he was, this guy would really understand why I wanted to, to do things differently. And through a series of machinations that I really can't tell you about because the statute of limitations probably hasn't <laughs> run out, I, uh, I was able to get a hold of Oliver Stone. And, um, and I, I did my best two-minute pitch, and I ran it down for him why I thought so many war movies were screwed up and how, how we could fix them. And he got it right away. He said, oh, yeah, you know, that's, that's right. That's what we need. Uh, they, these guys need to understand who we were and what we were when we were 19 in those jungles. And I said, right. So um, he trusted me. Um, I mean, we were great political, um, we're, we're at opposite ends of the political spectrum, but that didn't mean anything because we were both common uh, combat veterans. Right. And we, we knew what the deal was. So uh, he gave me 33 actors and three weeks. And uh, th these were actors who, uh, in those days, uh, the name didn't mean anything, but they certainly do today. Um, Forrest Whitaker, Johnny Depp, Charlie Sheen, um, Tom Berenger, uh, Willem Dafoe. And, and I took them into the mountains of the Philippines, into the Philippine jungles, and for three weeks, they were totally isolated, and they lived as combat soldiers did in Southeast Asia in Vietnam. And I mean, that was all there was. They dug a hole, and they lived in it. They slept in it. And, and I trained them every day. They got about two hours sleep a day. They got, they got you know, they only ate twice a day, or once if they pissed me off. <laughs> and, uh, and essentially... When I brought them down out of those mountains, they were who Oliver Stone and I were when we were 19 and 20 in Vietnam. And so um, we put that little film together, a little $5 million film, and brought it home. Uh, I was there with Oliver coaching and, and getting the best performance, the correct performance out of the actors all the way through. We brought that little film home. It was titled Platoon. The first real casualty of war is innocence. The first real movie about the war in Vietnam is Platoon. We immediately blew everything off the stage. Mm. Um, we won four Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director for Oliver Stone. And uh, he was very kind to recognize my contributions to the film. Uh, during the Academy Awards. And so uh, at that point, all of my theories, which had seemed so wild to Hollywood before that, uh, now became de rigueur. Everybody wanted me to work on their films. Um, and that was the beginning of Warriors Incorporated, which is, which is my company. Um, we uh, went on to do um, many, many uh, terrific films. 
um, I think about 50, 51 of them uh, so far to date. Um, I got to work with some really great uh, directors, Roberto Bonini, Steven Spielberg, um, Tom Hanks, um, um, and and on and on and on. I'm Bob Zemeckis, um, and uh, and they really taught me filmmaking. Right. Uh, they taught me the technical aspects of it, and and thank God they did. Um, I expanded the company um, because films, military films, only get made every once in a while. They they aren't they aren't churned out every two or three every year. So my company, uh, in order to stay in business and uh, and keep some people uh, gainfully employed, I sort of expanded our repertoire. And uh, we got into themed entertainment uh, for theme parks that oh, wow. uh, had had rides and that sort of thing that that um, had a military aspect. For instance, we did um, Star Trek: The Adventure for Hilton uh, Hilton Hotels in Hollywood, hmm. um, in which we went and trained all of their performers how to be Starfleet uh, officers. Uh, we got into music videos. We did Rooster uh, with uh, for Alice in Chains. Uh, we did uh, When September Comes for Green Day. Huh. Uh, we got into video games, and we advised on the entire series of uh, of uh, the, the Medal of Honor series for Electronic Arts. Right. Um, and then I started a, um, a publishing company called Warriors Publishing Group. Uh, that published uh, not only my books, I think I've got about 12 novels published now, but um, but other authors, other military veterans who were authors and 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 wanted their stories to be told and and were good enough to produce a novel. Um, we we do that sort of thing. So so um, without without really meaning to uh, and believe me, I didn't mean to. Uh, we've we've sort of become a, a mainstay in Hollywood, and uh, and once again, that's more information than you wanted, but there it is. <laughs> well, we are talking to one of a person who I consider a mainstay in Hollywood. He is retired Marine Corps Captain Dale Dye, who you may remember from such small films as Platoon. Saving Private Ryan, uh, JFK, another one that you did along with Oliver Stone, and being involved in, uh, in particular, one of my favorite things that's ever been put on film, Band of Brothers, where you played Colonel Sink. We're also a military advisor. I remember getting it on DVD and seeing the behind the scenes, and they did a feature on the uh, the boot camp, essentially, that you put all the actors from Band of Brothers through, and they spoke about you in, in reverential tones. So I wanted to ask you about your experience with the Hollywood actors and the fact that there's also just not a lot of veterans out there in Hollywood. We do have some. Uh, one of your fellow Marines of course is Adam Driver who plays Kylo Ren in the new Star Wars series he was a Marine mm-hmm. uh, R. Lee Ermey is still doing his thing out there but would you like to see more veterans out there in Hollywood not only uh, behind the camera but in front of it as well yeah absolutely I would Eric um, you know I think listen the the current veteran talent pool is really deep mm. But it's underutilized. Um, I, I can't tell you how many hundreds of phone calls, emails, letters um, I get regularly every month uh, from young men and women who, who are just out of the service and, and they, they want 
to be not some of them want to be the next captain die and i get that and that's fine um but but they they, they want to be actors or writers or film technicians of, of some sort and they have no idea how to get involved and and frankly there is no good answer that i can give them um because the the film community, the motion picture community, and there's only two big clumps of it, one big clump in New York and one big clump in L.A. Um, and it's really a tight run ship. Mm. It's often a closed shop. And there's a lot of reasons for that. It has to do with hubris. It has to do with the fact that there is a pot full of money involved. Right. And the more people you allow to suck out of that pot full of money, the less money there is for you. And, and it's, you know, there, there's a lot of underappreciation for young men and women who want to, want to get into this business. And frankly, those who try are sometimes off very often exploited. Right. So, so that they can't make a living and, and, and they can't break into this and it causes enormous frustration and that frustration often leads uh, to misbehavior, right. uh, to bad, to bad patterns of, of lifestyle. Um, and so I'm I'm enormously disappointed in that. And and I'm you know every every chance I get like this one, uh, I climb up on a soapbox and and piss and moan about it. Um, and I urge you know that it's one thing to say thank you for your service, <clears throat> and and we appreciate it. And we love you guys and gals and so on and so forth. That's all fine. Right. Um, but that's chin music. That's lip service. Yeah, it absolutely if, if is. If you really appreciate what these men and women have done for you, for our nation, for the freedoms that they've helped buy for you, for the security that they've helped buy for you, uh, then give them a shot. You're speaking of Hollywood, and there is a new way of doing things, and that is crowdfunding. And I understand that you're actually working on crowdfunding a project right now. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, Eric, and thanks for the opportunity. Uh, it's, it's a film that I've written, um, and as I said, I've learned, to, I've learned to be a filmmaker at the elbow of the absolute best, and they've been kind enough to, uh, to teach me uh, the state of the art. And so I wrote a film called No Better Place to Die. It's a World War II feature, um, in, which talks about the, defense, the seizure and defense of a bridge and a causeway in Normandy right. that literally saved D-Day. Had that bridge not been taken, uh, the Germans would have blown right through and possibly pushed all of our uh, landing forces right off of Omaha and Utah Beach. And so this little band of paratroopers misdropped all over the peninsula, got together, took a bridge at Lafayette and that the long causeway that went on the other end of the bridge, and they defended it. And that's a wonderful story. That's a microcosm of, of all the heroic things that went on in, in uh, World War II. Uh, when the big plans swirl down into the crapper, the little guys, the sergeants, the lieutenants, the PFCs, they get together and they know the commander's intent and they get it done. So I, I want to tell that story um, and I want to direct it because I wrote it and because I understand it. Right. But Hollywood objects to that because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a known auteur. Yeah. And so I decided, you know, the hell with it. Um, 
I'll do it myself. And so we began on Indiegogo um, to ask fans and veterans and people who understand what we're doing to give us a hand uh, on a film called No Better Place to Die. Right, right there on Facebook, look up No Better Place to Die. That'll take you directly to the Indiegogo site. And thanks, thanks for the opportunity to, to pump that. Making the journey from the jungles of Vietnam to the jungle that is Hollywood, Dale Dye has done it his way. For Vet Story and ConnectingVets.com, I'm Eric Dane. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.